I found early on getting paid was a challenge because everything was moving so quickly. You almost had to, hey, I got to take a step back and I got to send out the bills. And then sometimes you have to chase the money. This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a business leader whose life was upended in one day and learn how they navigated their way back. If all great change is preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it, a story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank and may lose value. Welcome, MainBiz listeners. I'm Andrea Tetzlaff with the MainBiz podcast team, talking today with Todd Flaherty and Drew Graham from Shipwright in South Portland. Shipwright started in Southern Maine in 2000, doing mainly order fulfillment for direct marketing companies. As the uh, company grew, they started expanding their service offerings to include call center capabilities. They had larger warehouses, more trucks. And then in 2017, e-commerce retailer Wayfair reached out to partner with them on providing final mile delivery services. Drew and Todd had to scale the business quickly, learn from their bumps along the way. And today we're going to talk with them about that partnership, what they learned and the challenges that last mile service presents in Maine. So thank you, Drew and Todd, for joining us today. Um, Drew, do you want to start by introducing yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Andrea. So I'm Drew Graham. I'm the founder and the president of Shipwright. We've been at this for uh, 21 years this summer. Very good. Todd? Hi, Andrea. I'm Todd Flaherty, executive vice president and partner at Shipwright. Drew and I started the company. I didn't come on board full-time until June of 2012, although Drew and I were, were meeting strategically all along. We were traveling to trade shows. We were prospecting. But prior to 2012, I had some other ventures. I moved back to Maine in 1999. I was living in Florida, managing the Caribbean operation. I was doing sales and operations in 30 Caribbean countries. I moved back in 99 to raise our kids. And again, joined Shipwright in 2012 full-time. Drew, did you grow up in Maine as well? I did not. No, I grew up in Massachusetts. I've been up here since 1993, former merchant mariner. I went to sea for a dozen years. And I moved up uh, to work with my brother to come to called Talk America. Very nice. And so when, when was Shipwright started? So it was the summer of 2000. I uh, started up above my garage just with a business plan. We actually opened the door the 28th of August, right? About three weeks after my second child was born. And how did it come to be? What was your kind of history, Todd? I know there was some kind of joint ventures there. What was the history and the expertise of the two of you that you decided to start this company? So Drew and I had a short run with another company prior to starting Shipwright. That's where we met. And we realized there was a need for fulfillment services for the many direct marketers that started popping up in Maine. 
So we said, hey, look, why don't we put a service group together and go after some of these existing clients? So when we started Shipwright, we already had one client committed. So we were cash flow positive the first month we started the company. That's a good yeah, place I, to be. I learned the trade at, at Talk America. I was the operations guy. And as Todd said, we were a direct marketing company. We had a big warehouse in South Portland. And uh, as the company grew, I grew with it. I took a lot of what I learned going to see leadership, execution, procedural stuff. And I ran the warehouse, I ran the customer service group. So it was a, it was a pretty natural progression as, as Todd said, other direct marketing companies and, and uh, the internet, you know, e-commerce was just starting to be born back then. And we knew there'd be some ready-made clients and we took a leap. So this was in around 2000. Correct. So what did the company look like when you first started it? What were the services that you guys were offering I imagine it was probably different back then than what it looks like today. Yeah, it was fairly simple. It was simple order fulfillment. We had, as I said, we had the, the warehouse in, in Westbrook. It was fairly small, but adequate. And we had a handful of clients from some local companies that we knew. And it was show up every day and everybody get out on the, on the, on the floor and put stuff in boxes. If a truck rolls up, split off a couple of people when the day is done, process returns and show up and do it all over again the next day. What kind of companies were you servicing? Yeah, we found our way early on into the uh, direct marketing world, particularly direct response marketing, for lack of a better term, the infomercial industry. And that was all sort of uh, born from our experience, my experience at Talk America, and then our experience collectively at this next company we went to work for. So any anything that we see tagged with as seen on TV, you guys were putting in boxes and shipping out to people? Well, that, that we were hoping a, to get all of it. Target. Yeah, we were hoping to get all of it. We got we got enough of it. And a lot of health and beauty stuff, a lot of uh, dietary supplements, skin creams, that kind of stuff. Were you shipping kind of within Maine and Northern New England, or were you shipping all over the United States or all over the world? What was your kind of distribution channel looking like? It was all over the world, but about 90% of it was domestic. And it really followed the population uh, bases in the U.S., and uh, Canada and Mexico were big markets, but yeah, we've shipped to many, many countries. Were there challenges in those early days of figuring out how to ship to Mexico and Canada efficiently or figuring out all of that stuff to make it profitable for you all to be doing that? Yeah, there really were. I mean, it, it certainly started with software and how do you get the information from the, because we, we never sold anything. We were a service provider sort of on the back end. So how do you get that order information? How do you translate it properly? How do you manage other companies' inventory, right? It's very, very important to them. And you're the, the last person to sort of communicate, if you will, to, 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 to see their customer. At that point in time, how were you going about getting new business? How were you getting about uh, going about letting people know about the Shipwright name and, and understand what it was that you did and specialized in? Well, the Direct Marketing Association and the companies that belonged to it was a pretty tight-knit community. So there was a lot of referral business. Uh, in addition, we went to a lot of trade shows to try and drum up additional business. And we grew very fast. I mean, it was zero to 60 in three seconds. <laughs> year after year. So uh, we were fortunate. We continue to get referral business. It's getting trickier. You've got some very big players out there now in the industry. But yeah, it was primarily referrals and trade shows early on. So let me ask, I hear you say we went from zero to 60 really fast. Was that a good thing? Was that, I mean, I, I imagine there were good and bad things about it, but was that a good thing? 
Uh, I think it was, Drew. Yeah, better than, you know, sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. But it, but it did bring challenges. It, you know, it, I found early on getting paid was a challenge because everything was moving so quickly. You almost had to, you know, oh, hey, I got to take a step back and I got to send out the bills. And then sometimes you had to chase the money. And if you had to get someone over a hurdle or perhaps go to their organization to, to start to maybe carve out a little piece of business or make sure that their people were comfortable, we did a little traveling. But, but by and large, if you, if you could just convince people that, you know, here are the steps necessary. And if we follow them every day, things are going to work out fine. Then, you know, you always hold your breath and jump, but then it, then it's working and you try to repeat it because, you know, as much as clients and, and prospects may want to commoditize what we do, it, it's, it's not simple and you have to do it right every time. So prioritization, I'm sorry, uh, proceduralizing everything is, has been the key. Sure. So you guys have talked a little bit about how you were growing really quickly, you know, in the first year, having 12 employees and then continuing to grow. How, how were you growing? You had a couple of, you grew into a couple of different divisions of the company, including like call center, fulfillment. Explain to me kind of how the company was growing and what that process was like. Well, what we found is we were adding more clients is they needed after sales support uh, for their products. And that's when we came up with the idea, hey, let's add a call center to this operation and we'll help those clients with their after-sales support. So if somebody wanted to order more product or wanted to know where their shipment was, or a lot of these clients had what's called a continuity plan where Andrea gets her shipment every month. Sometimes people wanted to extend their plan. Sometimes they had too much of the product, had to slow it down. Sometimes they didn't know how to use it or they had questions about what might be in the product if it was a supplement. So that, that call center idea grew very quickly uh, and it, was, it, it got us further into the client's needs. So it really solidified those clients for us because it made it tougher for them to look for alternative solutions because now we're handling two big pieces of their business. Sure, making yourself indispensable to them. That's no, that's exactly going. right. Yes. And, and, and it, was, it, it was a win-win. A lot of our clients then and now are, uh, you know, they, they, they don't even have an office. They, they work out of their house. They have a, a cell phone. And we became their back office uh, right up to their accounting. And so adding resources in a call center and adding services, it, it was just sort of a natural progression. And that was, we started the call center in 2004. We moved it in 2014, maybe, because it was growing. And in 2017, that's when we met Wayfair. And that got us into our third business channel, which is Final Mile Home Delivery Services. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You talk about when did what what year did you say it was that you part you met Wayfair? Yeah, it was June of 2017. And we were chugging along nicely, doing our order fulfillment and our, our call center support services. And someone from Wayfair called us. So you didn't asked, even, like, you weren't pitching them. You didn't reach out oh, to them and be like, we're going to uh, be your next great delivery Todd, service. Todd, Todd did a little bit of guerrilla marketing because we knew they had a call center in Brunswick and tried to get a foot in the door. And you know, we didn't, you know, you kind of get busy doing your own thing. We didn't really know what they were all about other than that. They were really growing and they were in the direct marketing world. They were an e-com company and things were, things were happening, but yeah, they called us. It didn't take them long to even get in a car and drive up and meet with us because they were looking for a reliable delivery partner. 
our website said logistics all over it. We did have a little truck. We were doing a, a project with a, a hardware company locally. And when they said, do you want to get into this? We kicked it around for about a day or two and said, why not? So let's take a step back just in case any of our listeners don't know what Wayfair is. Wayfair is an online shopping site where people can order things and have them delivered to their home. A lot of kind of home accessory type things. Is that accurate? Yeah, they, they really they started out in the furniture uh, space and very quickly got into sporting goods, outdoor stuff, carports, chicken coops. Uh, now they're getting into appliances. They also do small pack stuff. They do lamps and they do rugs and just about anything for, for, for the household or office. They've become a very, very large player. They may be, I, I believe, they're the biggest player in that space uh, in e-commerce. So Wayfair has headquarters in Boston. Do they have any presence in Maine? Uh, they've got a call center, uh, I think in Brunswick. Yep. Yeah, they, got, they have something up at Bangor as well. Customer yeah. service call center. So like anything, right? Because they're a strict e-commerce player. They, other than I think a showroom in mass that they have, you know, everything is online. So this was in 2017. You get the call from Wayfair. How, what, are they, what are they asking you for in terms of support that you can provide them? So they had an existing service provider who was failing and, and they needed coverage in this territory. They explained what they were looking for. They gave us a price sheet because we hadn't done this before and really weren't quite certain how to price out a delivery. They explained the process. They said, it's two people in a truck. You're gonna want a lift gate. They suggested some software for uh, route optimization. They came up and did a little bit of training on the software. 10 weeks later, I think we had trucks rolling. How did that feel when they first approached, like, were you guys really nervous when they first approached you being, I mean, not to belittle what your company was, but just like a small company from Maine and you've got Wayfair coming and asking you to provide them these services. Were you, were you nervous to meet their expectations? Were you excited about what it could do for the company? How did that feel? It was both. I mean, truth be told, Andrea, we, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. It was, you know, we were already 17 years in business and I thought, oh no, I don't want to learn a new trick. And I've got <laughs> a whole bunch of trucks and hire new people. But I, I, I was somewhat, and, and Todd and I, one of the ways we've worked well together as partners is one sort of takes the contrarian role in a conversation. And so You're I was like, cop. yeah, I was like, oh, I don't know. And, and Todd said, no, think about this, right? And we were a little flat, time to grow. Uh, you know, we, we, it didn't take long to really, to really turn my head and, and decide to go for it because uh, to Todd's point earlier that the, the, the folks that came up from Wayfair, they were young, energetic, they were bright and, and it just, it, it just looked like go-go time. So, so we took a leap. Nice. All right. We're going to take a quick break here from some sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Drew and Todd about what the partnership with Wayfair uh, did with their company and some lessons that they learned. We'll be right back. As the CEO or owner of a small or mid-sized business in Maine, You've got the weight of the world on you. But what if you didn't have to go at it alone? What if you could journey with an elite team of peers who've got your back and an experienced guide who knows the lay of the land? With that level of support, how far could you go? For more than 60 years, Vistage, the world's leading executive coaching and peer advisory organization, has been helping leaders reach new heights. Learn more at Vistage.com. That's V-I-S-T-A-G-E.com. 
I guess we were moving so quick that we hadn't put the numbers together to realize the the financial commitment that we had taken on. So we, we were we were all in on it. You know, we were at the poker table and all our chips were in. So we're back with Drew and Todd of Shipwright Solutions talking about how they started their company as order fulfillment for direct marketing companies um, in 2000. And then did you say it was 2007 that you were approached by Wayfair? No, 2017. So in 2017, Wayfair reaches out. Um, They're not happy with their current provider that's doing delivery services for them. Uh, and, and so they start, you, you all start having those conversations about how you can support them. And you talked a little bit, Drew, about both being a little bit nervous about uh, meeting their expectations, but also kind of excited about where it could take the company. Talk to us a little bit about what did they share that their expectations were of you? You know, as Todd alluded to earlier, they, they were and remain a very good uh, partner. They understood we were new to the business, but that we weren't, you know, wet behind the ears. We knew logistics, and we were, we were, we were good, you know, good, good operators to get stuff done. They certainly helped us with a little bit of software and a little bit of equipment in order to maintain some inventory flow. But they were pretty much all about, you know, here's here's what you're going to have to do tomorrow. Here's what you're going to have to do next week. They kind of laid it out for us, how many trucks they would need, uh, forecasting how, how their volume would go. And, you know, in the even though they're e-commerce, they're retailers. And by by late summer, every retailer is thinking about the, the holiday peak. So they did give us a lot of coaching and guidance. Beyond that, it was on us. We, we really had to figure out the, the day-to-day, moment-to-moment movement and, um, and how, to, how to stay profitable as well. That's interesting that they were willing to sort of take the time to coach you along. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? Because the uh, more that they help you, the more successful you're going to be in delivering their product efficiently and, and representing them well. So it sounds like it was a really good partnership, but you know, sometimes it's surprising to think that those larger companies might take the time to do that yeah, and well, not be scared off by a smaller company or partnering with a smaller company. You mentioned something really important and it's the end customers never seen anybody. They've done everything on the internet that placed their order. We're the first people that they're going to see and maybe even talk to since they placed that order. So we're, real, we're we're representing their brand and they need us to be successful so they can be successful. So it was really a mutually beneficial relationship and they do understand that they got to take care of their agents because we are that key interface with the consumer. And so the, to be clear for our listeners, they were you weren't necessarily working with them the way you were working with your direct marketer shipping all over the world. For Wayfair, you are providing what's called final mile service. Is that correct? Yeah, and that's correct. and that's locally, of course. Uh, when we first started, it was here in southern Maine. We didn't have the whole state, right? Just just southern Maine. southern Maine. It's probably from say Augusta all the way down to the New Hampshire border. So and- it, it was very different, though, because this is the first time that our employees were actually interfacing with the end customer, right? Before, we're just shipping packages all over the place, and we're never really seeing yeah. the person who's receiving the package. So right. it, was a, it was a different challenge for us. You weren't necessarily warehousing their product for any extended period of time. In other words, you weren't keeping their inventory. You weren't doing anything like that. It was strictly kind of a, a stopping point on the way to its final destination for you. 
exactly. Yeah, we, exactly. We turn the entire warehouse over about every three days. Oh wow. Yeah. So and that's a lot of moving in and out. And where were you at that time? Where was your warehouse space? So we picked up another building when we expanded the call center in 2014. We picked up another building just around the corner. So we're in uh, both buildings are in the Rummery Industrial Park in South Portland headquarters. And the original fulfillment center is, is here at 165 Pleasant, right around the corner, 159 Cash Street. Uh, we had the call center there, and there was a, a fairly large 20,000 square foot or so warehouse in, in behind the call center space. But yeah. we picked up the rest of the building when the partnership with Wayfair started. So, you know, there was there was quite a lot of financial risk on our part diving into this thing. Yeah, so that was actually going to be my next question was, so so Wayfair wants you to partner with them. What did you guys have to do as a company to make sure that you had the capability? I mean, I imagine that you talked about, you know, hiring people and, and now you've talked about this warehouse space. I imagine there's vehicles that have to be purchased to be able to service. Talk a little bit about what you guys had to do as a company to prepare for that partnership. So... About four weeks after we started here in Southern Maine, Wayfair liked what we were doing and said, geez, we're having service failures in New Hampshire. So here's where it gets interesting. We opened another operation in New Hampshire. Within so four months, you said? Within within four weeks. Oh, within four weeks. Started in I'm September started, here. I'm starting then in deliveries. October, we're down in New Hampshire doing the same thing. And when we started looking at what we had done financially or the, the commitments, we were $3 million into this thing because we had two long-term leases and we were building up to 10 to 15 trucks. I guess we were moving so quick that we hadn't put the numbers together to realize the, the financial commitment that we had taken on. So we, we, were, we were all in on it. You know, We were at the poker table and all our chips were in. Thankfully, we brought on a number of additional clients shortly thereafter. So we realized that we had a competitive opportunity here in the Northeast. After attending some trade shows, people found out what our territory was and said, hey, let's jump on. Let's get into this thing. So uh, fortunate for us, uh, the harder you try, the luckier you get, right? <laughs> we, we found a lot of additional clients to bring volume into both of those facilities. So you were signing leases for vehicles and for space. Was there any sort of signed commitment with you all in Wayfair that kind of covered you to know that you were partnering with them for X amount of years that covered you signing these leases for X amount of years? And that's a great question. I'll, I'll <laughs> defer to Drew. Uh, so while there are contracts, they pretty much speak to service levels and expectations. Uh, there was no commitment. It, if we failed, they they could walk away. Now, of course, wow. we knew we weren't but Full transparency, that, that's how the contracts in this industry are. We don't have one from, we probably got 25 contracts with other, other shippers. None of them are, are, have any sort of a term. They're open-ended and uh, that's just the industry standard. So they're more laying out what their expectations are and what you're going to be providing as opposed to we're locked in this agreement for five Correct. years. Yeah. It's service level language and it's pricing. You're growing into New Hampshire. You're, you know, you're investing in these warehouses. You're investing in transportation. It sounds like, you know, everything's going right and chugging along. Things had to go wrong. Yes. So I mean, talk to me a little bit about some of those challenges that came with that growth. You know, I mean, if, if, you could say it was matching uh, capacity with demand. 
how many people, how many trucks, how much warehouse space. Meanwhile, our, our newest client Wayfair and these other clients we're adding, they can only kind of give you so much uh, in terms of projections and, and expectations. And uh, we missed on the low side because we were risking so much. The first building we, we found in New Hampshire, it got us by, but it was a mess. I mean, frankly, not proud of it. And we did our best and no one, no one was hurt making, you know, making this movie, but it was, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, you had like to, it just wasn't the right space for you. It was too it wasn't small. Right. Too okay. small, too small. Didn't have enough loading dock capacity. It wasn't a good spot for trucks to turn. It was all the things you learned. Just everything. From, yeah, watching it go poorly. So the other thing we learned, Andrea, we were talking about the trucks, is our initial trucks, we got very high ceilings. And that's bad in, in, in this area that we're, we're delivering in because the, the trees and the branches hang low. So we were damaging the tops of the trucks. So we've started getting lower ceiling trucks to avoid the damage to the, to the, to the top of the truck. But that's another, I feel like that's another one of those things that who thinks about it until- You never did. Of course not. <laughs> um, you know, you keep stubbing your toe enough and you pretty much find out where all the furniture is in the room. And yeah. That's what we did. <laughs> and um, and how about, you mentioned before Wayfair basically kind of gave you guys a price sheet and said, this is our, this is our pricing for what we'll pay for various things. Did that work well? Did you find that had to be adjusted given that Maine, I mean, you were talking earlier, Drew, delivering to uh, Presque Isle is a whole different monster. Were you able to work through that with, with uh, Wayfair and kind of understand what those logistical challenges presented? Yeah, they've been very reasonable with their pricing. And, and uh, you know, if you can present the situation properly, they're willing to listen. So we were transparent with our financials uh, had some very good conversations and they made sure that we were in a position where we were making positive margins and, and uh, that we were healthy. So, Oh, interesting. Very... So you were sharing your financials with them to say like, this is what our, this is what our costs are That's without even thing. making anything. Yeah. 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 I mean, they helped us out with a couple of reasonable bumps and they're, they're also good at, at incenting d delivery agents. That's what you know, in their network, we're referred to as a delivery agent. So it was reasonable, but but to Todd's point, it, it came time for a, a significant sit down overhaul. And and yeah, we had to be somewhat open booked about it. And they were as well. I mean, they've got delivery agents all over the uh, all over the nation, and I guess they've got them all over the world. Yeah, and um, Presque Isle is very different than delivering in you know in in Brooklyn or in some some you know dense suburb of a big city versus a place like Maine that has so much, so much sprawl and sure they're, they're in business to make money. They're not going to just give it away, but, but they certainly will listen. And, and we found that all of our shippers are that way, you know, more or less, if, if somebody wants to do win, lose business in this business, you'll lose quickly. So you just don't do it. So we've talked about a lot of challenges. Were there things that you were sort of pleasantly surprised that went better than you guys expected as you started on this uh, partnership? Well, I'd say that, you know, the, the, again, not to beat it into the ground, but the collaborative nature of, of working with Wayfair, they turned us on to some software that they were, that they saw in use with some of their other agents and um, the software worked, worked quite well. And it has evolved over the last few years 
I, I think the industry as well, as we got more involved in the file mile home delivery world, you know, because there's there's conferences and, and, and trade shows, you came to understand that probably probably because people have geographic sort of fences up that that the 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 industry cooperates really quite well. I mean, we've we've had a lot of chats with with old industry veterans that have have taught us some things to watch and things to look out for that have been, you know, that turned out to be really, really, you know, special moments and important information to get. Um, and it sounds like this partnership with them, not only was good for you guys to be partnering with them, but it opened up a lot of new opportunities and, and avenues of, of new clients for you guys to be working with still on this kind of final mile delivery service. Yeah, yeah so, so they really encouraged us to go to certain trade shows that we wouldn't have known about. And that really opened up the door to, to like I said, we at one show alone, I think we picked up 15 new contracts. So that helped tremendously. They made introductions to other people because they know that we're going to be more efficient and, and our margins will improve if we have additional uh, deliveries that we're doing for other companies. So as we sit today, you're what, four years into this partnership with, with Wayfair and kind of this, um, this final mile service that you've partnered with quite a few companies on. Mm -hmm. um, give me an update on where the company stands as we are today. How, you know, you have two locations, Maine and New Hampshire. Um, how many employees are you? Give me, give me a feel for, and how, maybe how many deliveries do you do in a year? We've got 90 employees now. We're running uh, 15 trucks. Plus we use some third-party contractors. Uh, we have a partner up in Northern Maine that, that does go to Presque Isle for us. And we collaborate on that. Um, we have uh, two locations, three buildings. We've got about a We've got about uh, 100,000 square feet of warehouse space. Yeah, we're approaching about 75,000 deliveries a year. So it's wow. going well. And, and we've been we've had requests from three of our current clients to open up in Burlington, Vermont, and Albany, New York. So, yeah. so we're going to take one more, uh, one more break, and we'll come back and talk with Todd and Drew about some of the lessons that they have learned uh, after being in this business for several years and, and experiencing the good and experiencing the bad and the lessons that they've learned from that. We'll be right back. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. Business school have you thinking that, you know, your risk is simply in capital and return on capital, but it goes a lot further than that. It's reputation. You've got to take some risks. You've got to show up. you got to do a really good job and you've got to do right by your people. So we're back with uh, Drew and Todd from Shipwright talking about um, some lessons that they learned from taking on this um, kind of not life-changing, business-changing partnership with Wayfair and all the doors it opened for you with other clients as well and really helping grow your business over the last, uh, since 2017, but really since 2000 when you all started. I'm curious, you know, there's a big difference between 
uh, what you learn in school and what you learn in reality. And so I'm curious to hear if you have any thoughts on some things that you guys learned in practice as you were going through this growing your business that maybe you didn't learn when you were going through school. Well, the human resource side of it is, is, is tricky and it's really, you're put in situations that you could never be taught. You can read about them and you can write about them, but until you're in the situations, it's, it's really interesting how you deal with them. So it's really, it's challenged me personally. You know, you've, you've got turnover in this industry. It's, it's a hard, hard job. You've got to constantly motivate, train, talk safety, teach safety. But I think the human resource part of it, the people part of it, has been the most challenging for me. Coming out of a business background, uh, I certainly know how to run a business, but I've learned an awful lot about how to manage people. It rolls over into how you deal with your clients and and sometimes even their customers. You know, it's uh, you pointed out, figured out that we don't really have binding contracts in this business, and we never have on the on the order fulfillment or call center side either, simply because you're a service provider. I mean, you have to do what you say you're going to do, or your clients are going to walk and they're, you know, they're going to vote with their feet. Um, business school might have you thinking that you know your risk is simply in capital and return on capital, but it goes a lot further than that. It's reputation. You've got to you know you've got to take some risks. You got to show up. You got to do a really good job, and and you've got to do right by your people. I mean, in the early days, it was convincing people to come and work for a startup, and now a little bit, it's come, come to work at all. I mean, no one, no one learned the word ghosting at, at school because it's a new word and it's hard to believe, but I think we all know it. You read about it in the paper. People, people commit to an interview and they don't show up. People take an interview, commit to a job and they don't show up. People show up for a job and they don't stay. And so, you know, understanding that we're, we're providing opportunity in a growing industry in a in a wonderful place to live here in northern New England, it's kind of shocking that 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 more people don't want to jump in and, and hang in. But you know, to Todd's point, people are people are people. People are going to do what they're going to do, and and it's up to us to make sure that that we take them all the way through and perform the mission. Is there anything that you can look back on now? You know that you have this years of experience and and. Um recognize as a learning experience, whereas when you were in it, it was just kind of overwhelming and scary or frustrating? Yeah, you know, we've got a real good understanding now on, on capacity needs and, and how to plan out space. Um, like, you know, we whiffed on that at first because we had no idea of, the, of, of what peak meant, the ins and outs, you know, you got, in, you got trucks bringing inventory in, you're trying to load your delivery trucks to go out this stuff moving all over the place. So we got a much better idea on capacity planning. We know the right types of trucks to get now. We know the right clients that we want. We do not necessarily want to be delivering $1 million x-ray machines and stuff like that. That's dangerous. It could be a real liability if there's damage. So we've honed in better on the types of deliveries we like, the types of clients we're looking for. We know the areas we want to be in. Our focus has always been on providing services, being flexible, being being available, committing to our clients and delivering what we commit to. 
but but you have to push back a little bit too because no matter what the relationship i think there's always somebody who's going to try to push the other person and you just want to keep things reasonable and and there are folks out there that'll ask you to you know to 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 turn somersaults and you have to be able to make sure that it works for the whole business and that it and and perhaps something you've learned or something you've developed can roll across to your other clients and and everybody wins that way but if you don't hold up your hand and 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 push back sometimes you you're going to turn around and find out that you're miserable and and you're not making any money and do you have what advice would you have for business owners that you know, this was a, a significant change for your business for the better and, and turned out to be great. You know, whether it's good or bad, do you have advice for business owners that kind of come into some sort of significant change or, or upheaval or something new for their business and, and how to kind of manage through it and come out on the other side? You know, the, the you know, one piece of advice is, is know what you don't know, right? So we leaned on, on experts, we leaned on our lawyers, we leaned on our accountants. We leaned on our bankers. Commercial um, real estate commercial guys real did estate a great job for us. Because there were things that we knew were going to happen that we had no knowledge. I should say things were going to happen that we didn't have knowledge of, but they would have the foresight to tell us. And that helped us out tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Folks that have insight into other industries, commercial real estate people do, lawyers certainly do, insurance people certainly do. And yeah, to Todd's point, the, the, that level of collaboration, plus a little bit of luck with a, a client like Wayfair being as as reasonable as they were, um, you know, I think those things helped because hope is not a plan, but sometimes you're taking a risk. You don't know what you don't know. So don't be afraid to ask. The Day That Changed Everything is a production of Main Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Main Biz media products at mainbiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by MTI, or Maine Technology Institute, Norway Savings Bank, and Vistage. The Maine Biz podcast team includes Donna Broussard, Allison Nason, Renee Cordes, Maureen Milliken, Will Hall, and Andrea Tetzlaff. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedanka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. Subscribe at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Copyright 2021.